big hello to the coastal Georgia, the middle Georgia, and the central Savannah River area IIA chapters. My name's Amanda Joe Irvin. If you don't know me, I go by Joe, and I absolutely cannot wait to fly from Denver, Colorado, where I am right now, to you in Savannah, Georgia, for your May 4th event. Now, you may have heard it's a Star Wars theme. May the 4th be with you day, and I've already started collecting fun little giveaways to keep you guys awake and paying attention throughout the day. I've even got more on the way this morning that I ordered, but I cannot wait to be there in person talking to you about auditing around the corner. What does that mean? Well, it means spotting what's coming, spotting these inflection points, which is just one term that you are going to learn that day and hopefully walk away with so many great ideas to take back to your organization. I hope to see you there in person, but remember there is a virtual option. This group did an amazing job last year with a hybrid event before a lot of people had even done them, and they're doing that for you guys again this year. So if you're watching this video and you're not even anywhere near Georgia, you can still sign up. This is going to to be an eight-hour CPE event that you don't want to miss, and I really hope to see you there. Signing off until May 4th, this is Joe Irvin, and I cannot wait to be with you guys. Hey, hey, guys. Joe. I, got, I got more Star Wars stuff. Look at this. I mean, like, okay, we had to play my video again, so I had to get out my new little Star Wars dude. So I love to give stuff out at events. It's going to be so fun. Anyway, I'm not yeah, you even know, a prisoner. <laughs> you know, Joe, I've, I've taken a page out of your book. Yesterday, I did something for the uh, Portland IIA chapter. And, you know, I always give away stuff, you know. We all, like we all give away stuff, shirts and stuff. Joe, that's a nice shirt, by the way. And so, oh, wow. Thomas has a nice mug, too. This <laughs> is <laughs> like a walking advertisement. Wait a minute. Before I talk about the Portland IIA, well, let me just say I gave away a lot of things yesterday. Joe, where did you get that beautiful shirt? So I was uh, bugging my friend Robert um, that we all love our I Love Audit shirts, but I teach on ethics just as much as I teach on audit. So look what he made me, you guys. I have my I Love Ethics shirt on, and it's pink because of Kelly. And we're missing Kelly this week, but I'm representing my pink color crime friend uh, with my pink I Heart Ethics shirt. Now, let me just say, Joe, that I Love Ethics shirt is also on that Audit Guys website. So anyone who wants one can get it. I'm putting it in there. Where's that mug? Where'd you get that mug from? Found it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite mug at thatauditguy.com is what it is. I, I use it quite often. Did you find it at Goodwill or like the <laughs> I mean, I could see that. Was it like 25 cents? Garage sale? Garage sale. I, you know, I get a few weird looks <laughs> from it, too, because they think I'm talking about external audit. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I hate those people, too. It's okay. <laughs> now, Joanne is here, and she says, go Portland. Joanne, were you on yesterday? Did you see the presentation? If so, what would you think about it? If you didn't like it, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you were great. I like, They were fun. You did the hour, like, lunch, right? The whole. Yeah. That, that was fun. Yeah, they're good. All right, so now wait, Kelly's not here. So who who are you, dude? Like, who is this guy up in the upper right hand corner? 
Well, um, I, I, I see a logo down here. That, that's that, that's me. That, that'll work. That's all you need to know. I <laughs> know. Uh, I'm Thomas Mullenix with uh, Revision Management Consulting. A lot of you know me because I've been on the show a couple of times. I appreciate y'all having me back on. Um, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, this one, this was very interesting, especially having students of you know, uh, two kids entering school. Uh, I kind of wish I went to uh, this school, because then, you know, my high school days would have been so much easier. Uh, <laughs> I would have learned about the same amount, but my grades would have been better. So that would have been great. <laughs> right. Well, All right. Me. So, yeah. oh, no, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. Okay. No, go. To answer the question from Joanne, she was there yesterday. And, well, she said, I, I, well, I came to see more. So that means that she enjoyed it. So for all you IA chapters out there, give me a call. <laughs> Oh, oh boy. Now Mustafa says he loves the mug. Mustafa, you can go to that auditguy.com and get your own mug. We deliver worldwide. All right. You guys have seen the title. It's the principle of the matter. I actually got one email from someone saying, you spelled principle wrong. And I was like, no, I didn't. Nope, not that kind of principle. <laughs> because, the, because the principle is your pal, right? That's right. That's how I remember learning it too. The principal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, friends, today what we're talking about is a high school principal who was booted from his job for fraud, but, but, who'll get a nice paycheck for the next seven years. A Queens principal is accused of defrauding or using fraudulent schemes to boost his school's graduation rate. Is that a dramatic pause? <laughs> it was kind of a dramatic pause. I just got to breathe deeply before this one because Joe just dropped the story in the chat. But you guys, so here, let me tell you guys something. So. We'll exchange the stories and we'll think about them for a little bit. And then every once in a while, when I can't sleep at night, I'll be thinking about the stories and I'll find some additional information. I actually found, Joe just dropped that story from the New York Post. That's one of them. I actually found the investigation report. Yeah. It's about 35 pages long. Man, this thing is scathing. So look, here's what they were accused of. Violating school safety laws, payroll per session scheme, fraudulent classes, one teacher who was a wrestling teacher who was kind of beating up on students and then issues concerning the proctoring of region examinations. That's a whole lot of stuff. Now, the principal in this particular school, he ended up being fined $12,000 by the New York Department of Education. But they also said that for the next seven years, he has a job. We don't know exactly what that is, but He'll continue to collect his $187,000 a year salary, as well as pension and other benefits. And they're estimating that it's going to cost the taxpayers about $1.8 million over that seven-year period. Um, and how many principals read this story and were like, I want that. How do I do that? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Dan Ramey sent us the, the, the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely not um, in <laughs> incentivizing people to correct their behavior, that's for sure, by what this guy got. Like, there's, what's the punishment here? It's crazy. Yeah, but before we get too deep into it, this week on my solo podcast, Audit Bites, I talked about where were the auditors? Because that's a question that people always ask. If you missed it, catch out, check out that episode. But 
The reason I bring that up is because in New York, the Department of Education, specifically the boards of cooperative education services, they mandate that every school district must establish and maintain an internal audit function except for those school districts with fewer than eight teachers, less than $5 million in general fund expenditures in the previous year, or fewer than 300 enrolled students. So I'm guessing they probably had an audit function for this school district. Yeah, because they had 2,100 students at the school, right? No. I, I read that. So this wasn't something small, like a small school. No, it was not a small school. It was not a small school. Thank you, Benita. Benita says the Audit Bites was informative. If you missed it, go to auditbites.com and you can catch the re well, you can catch the replay when I put it up. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just go to my LinkedIn profile and catch it from there. Uh, by tomorrow, it'll be up on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, and all of that other good stuff. And Heather says there aren't many of those school districts. What? What school districts? Okay. All right. So, Joe Thomas, you guys want to say anything before we dive in? Sorry, I'll, I'll jump in with it, but I'll, I'll, I'll give a caveat with this first here. So, uh, my father worked at a refinery for over 30 years, so he was part of a union with that. So, I always like to caveat that. I, I'm I've seen the side of being part of a union and all of that, but I think this is a great example with the, the punishment and some of the stuff that went on, why unions aren't always a good thing, because it really feels like uh, a much harsher punishment and a much quicker turnaround in, in addressing these issues would have happened if they didn't have all of the legal hoops to jump through from a union standpoint. I know there's going to be some people that, that disagree with me on that. And like I said, my father was with the union for a time. So uh, I get the the reasoning behind some unions and such, but it really feels like this is a time that he just kind of hid behind the union and and was almost untouchable. Yeah. Yes, that's what I came on asking Thomas and Robert uh, why this guy got to keep his job because I didn't understand and not even thinking about the union piece of it. So I think some of yeah. us forget the implications of that. So and you know and it, that's a question. You know, for us as auditors, how much how much does that impact auditors? I don't know if we have anybody on that works someplace where there is a union. Like, how does that impact audit work? I'm just more curious than anything. So if we've got anybody that knows. Ooh. Well, I, I know the, the investigative uh, group that, that, that did this investigation, yeah, that 32-page report stuff, they, they even said that there wasn't enough evidence to get certain convictions. And yet the teachers were saying they were providing stacks of evidence. So that really tells me that, yeah, it, it's very difficult to prosecute. And so as an internal audit department, you almost say, what's the point of doing some of these investigations if you know that there's you know, nothing's going to happen with it? It doesn't matter what the audit report says. Which well, I'll take it a step further. I'll take it a step further. Also in that investigative report, they noted that several teachers refused to be interviewed. So that's the power of a union. You can refuse to, to talk to people if you really, really want to refuse to talk to people. Ah, Richard says, no impact on audit. We find what needs correction, but the penalties are out of our control. So uh, to, to the point we were just talking about, you could still do the work. 
It's just a matter of the outcome based on your work. You know, what real solutions can you provide? I guess that's where, you know, I come to the audit table with let's not just find the problem, let's solve the problem. But I think a lot of times, sadly, it seems like from the stories that you read and what you do is that you can't always solve the problem um, yeah. with that situation. Yeah, absolutely. But I, you know, I also think, though, if you know, you know, we're all human, you know, if, if we if we're going to do this audit work, we're going to put a lot of time and sweat and effort into it. And we know that it doesn't matter what the report says. Nothing's going to come of it. Nothing's going to happen. Then it's easy to, especially after a couple of years, it just almost stop caring about certain audits. You focus on what you know is going to be have an impact and actually going to have change. And the other stuff you just say, OK, everybody knows it. And you, yeah. you almost either check the box or you just kind of move on. I mean, as a human, it's just hard to do the same thing and and know nothing's going to come of it. Uh, and you you get worn I, down. I don't know about you, Robert, but I'm sitting here going, I don't think Robert and I could ever work there or work nope. in a place that has a union. So uh, hats off to people like Mike, who's on again. Well, I was about to say our friend Mike Hurst was here, is here. So if you remember the story from last week, Mike works at the Utah Transit Authority and we talked about a story there and it happened before he got there, but he says the union at his work is bulletproof. And I, yes, I get that and understand that. It is very difficult to work at a place with unions. Um, now, Christine asked a question, did they not have enough to prosecute or did they want to stop the bad press that would have come from it, reputation risk for the board? Now, it's a good point because Christine, the New York Post had several articles about this school before the investigation actually occurred and they were bringing out the fraud before this investigation actually occurred so now let's talk about it the maspeth high school created fake classes awarded bogus credits and fixed grades to push students to graduate some people were quoted as saying that even if the diploma was not worth the paper which it was printed on they push students to graduate. Um, some teachers and administrators are quoted as saying, I don't care if a kid shows up at 744 and you dismiss them at 745. It's your job to give that kid credit. That is what the principal is quoted as yelling at a teacher. The teachers say that they felt threatened and changed each student's failing grade to a passing one. So now we have fake grades being given out to students. We have fake grades being given out to students. There were also allegations that there were fake courses that were created just so that students could pass. But before we go there, let's get to the first allegation that I found in one of these reports. The first one is that there was a school safety concern. And guess what? The school received a complaint. They received a complaint from someone saying a couple of things. One, that one employee had sent unprofessional text messages to a student. Two, that teachers received pay for coaching sports teams when they did not actually coach, uh, teach, when they did not actually have the tutoring, so fake classes, um, and that they were not handling, um, why am I losing my train of thought here, um, contraband appropriately. So apparently there were some teachers who would confiscate marijuana and vape, uh, um, whatever the vape things are called, from students and the chain of custody from the school to the police 
just wasn't there. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think if you look a bit a little bit farther down, I think we know what the chain of custody is because uh, one of the, I think, teachers ended up uh, being accused of smoking some stuff in his apartment with some of the students. So I think we can guess what the chain of custody is here. Yeah. I think I think this part of this story that bothered me the most. Well, number one, two things I want to say. I've dropped in the chat that um, this is obviously not the first time any of this has happened. There's been so many stories, big story from Atlanta, you know, over a decade ago now. Um, but the saddest part of this to me was the quotes from the students. I don't know about you guys, but when they said like, you know, they um, had a student, a recording of a student that was calling all of this illegal and another student said they just gave up on us. Like how sad to hear, you know, the student. I wouldn't be surprised that if the tip came from a student of somebody who actually did want to learn and, you know, didn't really understand. I mean, there were students who said they just moving to new math classes and they hadn't even, even learned anything the year before in math and they were just lost. Yeah. Like completely. I mean, this is just a sad case of setting humans up for failure. I don't know. Well, and, and how many students went off to college and had no clue how to do anything? You know, how many went in there and just absolutely bombed, you know, because they didn't learn anything in high school? I mean, it's, it's, it's so easy to do. Even the good kids, if you know you don't have to try, it's easy to slack off. I mean, I, I won't lie, I did that. I figured out very quickly that I didn't need A's to be able to get into college. So I, I, you know, I, I didn't learn near as much as I should have in high school. And I paid for it in college, literally. Yeah. If you check out this article from the New York Post, the title, The School of Croc, Look down at the bottom at what this one student said. He said that uh, I was always stoned, drunk, or skipping class, so they let me graduate early. In this case, what they had was a student who was not a very good student, and they really wanted to get rid of him, and so they gave him enough credit so that he actually graduated six months early. They did this student an extreme disservice, and he talked about it to the New York Post. And, you know, it's not just the, what the student was saying, but also the, the parents. You know, the parents were like, you know, we were trying to help our son. We expected the school to, you know, they didn't blame the school for things that his son, their son did, but they were really expecting their son to, or the, the school to help their son and really help, you know, show red flags, say, hey, he's not learning, he's not doing this. And yeah, he, they got nothing from the school. So, and, you know, I, I know, not everybody agrees with the approach, but a lot of times the schools are the first red flags for any kind of child abuse and, you know, any kind of negligence and such. And, you know, they weren't doing that part as well. So you, who knows what kind of things other students were dealing with that, you know, that we don't even know about here. Now, <laughs> Mike says C's earned degrees. You know what? And I'll be honest. I'm actually with them on that. And in here, let me, let me just explain this for just one minute. Because when I say this, people think that I'm crazy. But okay, if I am looking at two potential candidates for a job, and I have one that has a 4.0 GPA and has never worked a day in his life, then I have another candidate that has worked full-time while in high school and or college, and yet they have a C. Give me the C student because I know that you have real-world experience and I know that you know how to balance your time. Maybe that's just me, but I'm sorry. That is my approach on that. Real world experience means a lot and it should mean a lot more.
Now, I also value very much value education. So I have taught in K through 12 as a substitute. I teach in higher ed, you know, and I'm all about trying to get value back into education because I think we've lost some of that, uh, even at the higher ed level. I mean, you've got, you know, sadly, a lot of adjunct professors that aren't paid a whole lot that aren't spending the, the time they should be on their courses. And so, um, yep. yeah. Anyway. So here's our guy. Oh, there's our guy. Did no award, of course. Blue Ribbon yeah. School, right? Here's our guy. Um, you know, I want to kind of bring up an. Can I bring up an ethical challenge to the group or, or a thought? Because this, these type of stories have come out before. I think this one is a little more um, mal, mal intent. Um, I don't know about you guys. This guy just seems devious and the whole school seems like it, it's just not, it's total bad intent. But there's been other schools that have been in the news where they change like those standardized test scores in order to stay open because if the school shuts down because of poor scores, all of these kids have nowhere to go. And so there's been a lot of, I'd say ethical stories in the news, like what would you do if you knew, you know, these 600 elementary school kids would literally have nowhere to go to school if you didn't just curve their scores. And there's a lot of people that have come out and said, I would have done the same thing. And so then administrators, principals, teachers don't get as crucified because the intent was better. Is it still unethical? Absolutely. We cannot change scores, but I mean, Anyway, I think those people often get let off the hook because the intent was good. The overall, I mean, Kelly and I just listened to a podcast and it was all about, um, you know, is it unethical if you are doing something for the greater good? Example on the podcast was a police officer who was going to actually kind of, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go as far as they were going to go and say, kill a bad guy purposely. But what they said was, well, it's for the betterment of the society, right? We're killing a bad guy. So it's like that movie, what is it called? The Equalizer with Denzel Washington. Like, is it okay because of the end, you know, the end? But that's, I mean, that's the, the ethical dilemma lots of people face is do the means justify the ends, right? Or, or do the ends justify the means? Anyway, I just think it's interesting how different these stories have been in the news over the years. Yeah, it's easy to try to rationalize stuff and, you know, in try to a lot of times we try to explain why something happened. You know, if someone was stealing money or someone was, you know, defrauding someone, why you always look for the why. Right. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. It's whenever you can see it and almost as a society, we can justify it. Then, OK, you know, it's not as bad. Well, yeah, they still stole something. They were still unethical. Uh, it reminds me of the. uh <laughs> To show my my nerdism uh, in in game and in, in Marvel, they're talking about time travel, and they're like, "Well, can we just go back and find baby Hitler and just kind of you know take care of him?" Yeah, is that right? No, you know, but you know, if if you, we talk about it as a society, would anybody really argue? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, All right. In the ethics program, I go through the the five different ethics philosophies because. There is the whole philosophy of doing for the greater good, right? Like you might hurt one person and it's like the, um, the train, the moral morality of murder. I don't know if you guys have ever watched that, the trolley in, you know, the trolley problem where do you swerve to only hit, kill one person or do you let the trolley go forward to kill five? Like these are the 
this is why people don't understand how complicated it is ethics is so it's it's interesting and everybody had it from their own perspective yeah all right let's dig into this so the pay per session let's talk about that for a minute so broadly speaking pay per session activities refer to those done before or after school hours including weekends or holidays in which a teacher or another department of education employee is involved So examples include, but are not limited to team sports clubs or other events that occur on school grounds or that utilize school equipment. And a per session role may be, for instance, a sports team coach or a faculty member supervising a club or a chaperone for a school event. So you can get paid what they call per session uh, activities. And there's a regulation that dictates how that should take place. So now what they're saying is people were paid for per session activities that never occurred. For example, the principal received $11,794 in per session salary, but did not actually work any of the per session positions. Uh, Someone else received $22,000 for coaching wrestling and working summer school, but they never did. Another person received $41,000 for per session activities. I'm not quite sure what that one was. And then finally, another person received $35,681 in per session monies for coaching the female varsity flag football and a public school athletic director position. So this is money on top of their salary that's just additional money that they were paid. And the um, investigative report is saying they did not perform any of those services related to this activity. It's just flat out lies. I mean, this one, this one, there's just no good intent. I mean, you can find no good intent in this. I mean, maybe at some point they started this because they did want students to pass, right? But I mean, ultimately, you know, Rob and I had sent to Rob and Thomas the, you know, the, the ultimate reason is how are these principles incentivized? How are they performance managed? And sadly, I think that's the root of all evil, whether it's a company or a a school, you know, if you're telling a teacher you will not succeed unless you pass this many students, they're going to start unethically passing students. And it is if, you know, that is so tied to their performance management or their bonus structure or whatever it is, they're going to find a way to do it. And what or companies just turn the blind eye to what is really motivating people and they are acting unethically to just reach their goals. Yeah. And, you know, talking about the, you know, where was the auditors, right? This is one thing the auditors could have easily looked at because there are maximum number of hours they're allowed to do this extra work. They can also look at, is there any kind of bias going on as far as who's getting these opportunities? So this is definitely an example of where the auditors should have or could have, looked at it, done an audit, say, okay, there's something wrong here, and at least address this one issue. So this is definitely one where I do ask, where were the auditors? Now, let's go back to our audience. Jane says that she sees the other side. However, school district is there for this very reason, and she thinks that the school should work with the district to ensure kids have other options slash schools to go to. Yeah, so that was the example when I was talking about, because I've seen that in the news, where you know yeah. everybody felt like the, the school did the right thing by boosting scores to keep the school open, you know, and, but I agree that, with Jane completely. That yeah. you, that's where the district should step in and say, you're not going to be 
coolest. We're going to find somewhere if this one closes. But, right. But well, yeah. And Christine says the teachers didn't come forward because they didn't want to incriminate themselves. And my friend Mark Bentcover makes a very good point. How you are rewarded often dictates how you behave. But this thing gets a little worse, too, though. I mean, so the second allegation was that the principal created an environment in which staff felt they were treated unfairly. And they said that he he favored members of his clique and appeared distant and unavailable. Now, the one thing I don't like about these kinds of allegations is because sometimes you you can't really prove them because maybe they just didn't like you because you had a terrible personality and you just didn't get along with them. But if you read the investigative report, uh, they say that, quote, it was not a professional place. Several staff members felt that uh, he made the school a difficult environment within which to work. So they gave some, some specific examples. Um, so for example, teachers were highly encouraged to volunteer at school events without pay and to adhere to an unwritten dress code uh, said that she was paid per session to coordinate. One person said that she was paid per session to coordinate student activities such as the prom and homecoming, but was not paid to work the event as a chaperone. Now, one person said that when there was a hiring freeze in 2018 and 2019, uh, the school needed to hire a guidance counselor. And what they did was they cut one teacher's in-class hours and made them actually work as the guidance counselor when they were down one position because of a hiring freeze. Now, that sounds pretty bad to me. I don't know, but the whole volunteering or being paid to volunteer, those are just teacher obligations. So, I mean, my mom was an eighth grade teacher for my entire life. And I mean, the woman gave more of her time than, I mean, that's, that's just what you do. So I think a lot of that made, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that that's an unfair environment. I think the environment was terrible and the culture was terrible. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but I think they probably have just a very tainted view of obligations because of that. You know? Yeah. And I think the issue with that was that some people were paid for it and others weren't. So it's and like that is where you created the unfair environment. Yeah. 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 Inconsistency. Well course, but yeah. Well, also, you know, if you look at not just in teaching, but in any organization anywhere, one of the red flags that auditors look for is turnover. Do you have a lot of turnover in a specific department under a specific manager in a specific school? And uh, the, the report also said that in 20, I think it was 2018 or 2019, both years they had 15 teachers leave. Now, I don't know how many teachers they had, but that seems like a high amount of teachers to just up and leave a school. So that's got to be a flag as well as what, what the culture is. Yeah, so to Jane's point, where was the school district watching out for these things and closing down these schools that have, you know, these red flags, huge yeah. turnovers, complaints, I'm sure. Um, and I, I mean, it all goes back to, I mean, do schools, this is a, I should ask people I know that work in school districts, do they have whistleblower hotlines? I mean, is that how, you know, can you, I think you could go straight to boards, school boards, and I think that's how they get a lot of information, but it is really interesting to me how this one stayed so toxic for so long. Um, you know, the, the report does say that there were uh, whistleblower teachers three years ago brought this up. So there's got to be some way for teachers to whistleblow and, and report this. Right. And just, I, yeah, the, the length of time, and this isn't, this isn't unique to this one. The length of time always kills me on how long things go on when you think they would be stopped immediately. Uh, yeah. I also would have expected him to be fired almost immediately. But. Exactly. <laughs> right. 
Well, and then there were also text messages and things like that that showed that teachers had really close relationships with uh, students, probably inappropriate relationships. For example, there was one incident where a wrestling coach was caught wrestling with a student and then things kind of went awry and that coach kind of took it a bit too far. For example, here's our video of that. Let's see. So we may not have the sound here, but we will definitely have the uh, video. So now this is a standard wrestling move, nothing too much here, nothing bad about this, but then it gets a little bit uh, crazy where it looks like he's taking it too far. You can see the student struggling, begging for help. This was on the New York Post. Then at one point he picks the student up. Now that's not a, a wrestling, uh, a sanctioned wrestling move there. Student is still laughing a little bit, but then he gets a little bit rougher and he actually hurt this student. Um, they called it aggressive in the report because the teacher shouldn't be doing that. There he is smushing the kid's face on the canvas. That's not a good thing. And if is I remember right, this student was not actually a wrestling student either, was he? I think you're right. So here's the move that really got him in trouble. That's not really a wrestling move, unless you're talking about the WWE. And it, it kills me how, um, you know, teachers at good schools have to you sometimes restrain students. Sometimes I've seen a lot of stories. Actually, here in Colorado, there was a big one about a special needs student being restrained. And... Like teachers and principals can't do anything anymore without like extreme um, what a, a bad press or like you can't touch a student anymore, right? And so it is almost extra shocking to see these type of things given the smallest thing you see in the news now when it comes to, they can't discipline hardly at all. And so really, really interesting, this, this whole thing. I mean, obviously they got away with a lot of things, but, and, and if you look at some of the teachers' pictures, they look like they're, they're friends of the kids, don't they? They're like, they don't even look like high school teachers. I don't know. They look like, they look like they're buddies that would hang out at a party and do whatever with them. So sad. This whole one was sad. In fact, Dan Rainey, shout out to who sent me this. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, but Dan literally put in the email, this makes me want to puke. <laughs> So I think, I mean, that's probably how a lot of people feel about this one. Now, they were, it was also alleged that they use non-school email addresses to communicate with folks. So they use some Google email addresses and things like that. In one particular correspondence, the investigators were able to exchange, able to obtain text messages sent between school officials and a confidential witness known as confidential witness number six. Excuse me. The text messages show that one of the administrators had knowledge of providing answers to students taking regent exams. For example, I'm just going to pull this up. Let's see if I can get this one on the screen as well. You guys, there's a lot of a uh, lot of evidence in this thing that just really crazy. So if you look here, hopefully, wait, let's see if I can just a little bit bigger. Can you guys see this? Let's see. Yeah, here. just feed it to us. My, I'm like, I can't see that. Or read All right. It. So, witness number six was asking, how is giving answers helping her? What, what is that teacher, what is that teaching her that it doesn't have to, 
that she doesn't have to try because she'll just get the answers. She didn't try at all this year, not one bit. Yet she thinks she's smart as hell now because she got the high score, the highest score. Oh, wow. So the district official said, and how is that harmful? What's worse, her thinking she can't do it or that she's smart. The confidential witness says that she's smart when she's not. That's setting her up for failure. She's asking to go to geometry to be with her friends when we all know she can't handle the work. How is giving students answers to an exam harmful? You did not just ask that question. The school administrator said, you don't get it, man. You came from a very black and white in private schools, but it's different here. It's different because I'm not going to not even give these kids a shot at the real world because they didn't pass high school. That's ridiculous. She shows up every day and tries. Maybe not in algebra, but she's given up. That's why it's a bullshit system. But you have to understand that this is the mindset of this place. Then a short while later, the confidential witness continued the conversation saying, I understand the mindset of the school and I obviously respect it, but I don't always agree with it. Giving that many answers to her was outrageous. And obviously I would never tell anyone that you or that was redacted did this, but like you really think giving them all the answers is the right decision. Then the school administrator said, not at all. She was smart enough to realize what was happening and took advantage, LOL. No other kid in that room got that many. So as you can see, they admitted to giving students answers to exam questions. Crazy, such a crazy story. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of speechless. <laughs> I'm on the side of that not helpful. Like that's not. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> what what the, what more to say? I, I love ethics. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> I made a lock. I'll just put my shirt and be like, oh my gosh, I love ethics. I hate these things, but I love ethics. So let's talk about your favorite topic, Joe, one of your favorite topics. And Mark Bentcover kind of alluded to some of this, and that's incentives. Now, I'm going to get this wrong about the school, but they had some sort of policy, almost like the No Child Left Behind, where they were saying every student had to do well. So don't we think maybe just that policy alone helped to spur on some of the activity that we saw? I do. And it's sad because people always think that money will incentivize people the right way to do the right thing or, you know, saying no child left behind will incentivize them to teach better and get them to pass. And sadly, it doesn't. You know, you have to think about what kind of behavior you're incentivizing. I mean, it's not just throw pie in the sky aspirations out there and not give them the, the tools to get there or the training to get there. There's so much more effort organizations need to put in if they're going to just put a, a, a line out there. You know, it's like the Wells Fargo eight is great. So how do we get eight? They didn't tell them how. So somebody just figured out they could just start doing it. You know, Jane I mean, agrees with you. Story. Same story. We hear it in every industry all the time. But what's so the lesson what, for internal auditors here though? What? What's the lesson for internal auditors here? To, to look beyond just the, is it being calculated right? And, or is the goal being achieved, right? We, we always just wanna say, oh, did we get there or not? Not how did we get there? 
or why well, are we incentivizing this in the first place? There you go. Is the measurement criteria even one that promotes an ethical environment? Right. Yeah. As soon as, as anyone starts coming up with, you know, this is our goal and this is our aspirations. And, you know, they're talking about just the auditor should be asked, is this reasonable? And if it's not reasonable, how are they going to get to that mark? Because if it's not reasonable to, for expectations, they're going to cut corners or do something unethical to be able to hit those marks to get, you know, get the quarterly bonus or you know, get the promotion or, or whatever it is. You have to be mindful of what the path is that, that you can expect to be able to do it. Um, to Jane's question here, Jane, here, let me answer your question. Um, whether teachers have performance reviews in one of the articles, I think it was about the Atlanta uh, charge, big charge where schools were falsifying, changing test scores, all of that. Here's what one teacher said. My evaluation was tied to student achievement. If your job is in jeopardy and your job is in jeopardy and the jobs of your teachers, this was a principle. It is a hard decision to make, but I just did it. And he was saying, and that was in response to changing um, test scores. So yes, the evaluation was tied to student achievement. But what does that mean, right? So yes, okay, it's this whole no child left behind, that's great. I don't think it should ever be a no child should fail because that's a, that is too pie in the sky. Like we cannot have that. Goals have to be reasonable. And that's why I say auditors look for lofty or unreasonable goals at your organization. If they can't meet them, they will find a way to try and that's where the problem is. Like, why do we want to get 99.9% .9 of something? Is 90% okay? Like, those are the type of things we need to be involved in, those conversations. Is it reasonable or is it totally crazy of a goal? Well, and also when it comes to, especially comes to students, you know, I tell my kids all the time, I like when they fail because that's when they learn. You know, they tried something, it didn't work out. Now you learn how to, to critical think and, and approach something different. If you're always succeeding at everything that you're you're trying, you're not learning anything. You're just doing. And so these students, not only are they are we failing them because they're not learning what they're supposed to learn, but they're not learning how to fail either. And not just grades, but just at, yeah, at anything. They're not learning how to fail and, and to recover. And I, I mean, I see this today. And so teaching higher ed, I mean, I have students every semester that come to me the last week of class and say, can you reopen all the assignments for me to do it? You know, I mean, they're not afraid to ask for anything. I have had people ask me to change grades. I have had people ask me to pass them because they were so close, you know? And I mean, you guys know me, I'm tough, tough, but I look, it's tough love. Like, I'm sorry that you had a 68. I cannot round that to 70. Like, I, and because you want to see, like, I, there are just, there is a yes or no answer to a lot of these things. And I feel like one of my seven deadly sins is the, of ethics is what I call the sloth mentality. Everything's gray. Yes, we can round. Yes. Okay. It's okay. I'll reopen all these assignments. That's not the way we should be approaching this stuff. And that's my opinion as a teacher. Yeah. And Jane agrees with Thomas, with Thomas. She says, failure is a must. That's how we get better. Look, you guys have heard me say it before. I call myself a fantastic failure. <laughs> I try a lot of stuff. Think about all the stuff you see me try from podcasts to shows to whatever. That is how we as a society learn, grow, develop new products and or services, become better as people, as a country, as a nation, as a world. So, all right, you guys, episode number 54 of the Friday Frost, it's the principle of the matter. There's a school in New York 
Man, they were accused of a few things. One, school safety issues, not handling contraband appropriately. Second thing, payroll and pay per session. They were paying teachers to perform services that they, well, did not actually perform. Fraudulent classes. They were creating fraudulent classes so that some students could actually pass. The students actually called them the easy peasy courses or something like that. I forgot exactly what it said. Then there was an allegation about one student's behavior and a video leaked where he slammed a student on a mat while wrestling. And then finally, there were issues concerning the way they were proctoring region exams. And we just showed you text message conversation, which I basically butchered when I read it, but uh, text message conversations back and forth between a confidential witness and an administrator at the school. This was horrible, but a few takeaways for internal auditors though is, Look at the goals and objectives. If they have lofty goals, what are you incentivizing? And the, the incentive structure could be one that, well, supports fraud. I mean, really, it could make people. Second thing is, there were allegations that, 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 I'm sorry, it said that a lot of whistleblowers had come forth. Listen to your whistleblowers. Where there's smoke, there's fire. But then there was also instances, there were also instances where people would not talk to investigators. They just wouldn't talk to them. Now, when some people refuse to just simply talk to you, something is wrong there as well. But there are certain things we could have looked for from like a data analytics standpoint and things like that as well. But obviously there were people who had access to various systems to set up courses that were fake courses too. So all the way from system access to incentive structure, there was a lot wrong here in the control environment. And it came from the top because, well, it was the principal is the one who was fined. He wasn't just the principal. I think he founded the school as well. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thomas, thanks for guest appearing with us. Happy to. I, I love coming on with you guys, especially since Robert's here in Houston. Well, I mean, we're kind of making this a Houston show here, you know, but no, I appreciate the, the, the invite. I always enjoy coming on. I enjoy listening to you guys whenever I'm not on. So it's always a great show. Yeah. Hey, Thomas, you got anything coming up that you need to plug? Hey, let's do that, man. <laughs> uh, me? I don't have don't much have coming like up. open position or something? Uh, you know, I am always looking for people that, uh, can do SOX work, internal audit work and such. So if you're an independent consultant or even curious about independent consulting, uh, shoot me an email. You see my email address down here. It's thomas at r-bmc.com. Uh, and I just got an email. So maybe one of you guys said, just send it to me. Uh, but also, you know, if you ever need the, the support, any kind of outside resources. And one thing I do for free, if you're looking for a job, permanent hire, or if you're looking to hire someone permanent, I try to help connect people to be able to, to help that out. That's completely for free. So if you're looking for work or if you're looking to hire someone in the internal audit space, uh, shoot me a message. And I, if I know somebody, I will definitely introduce you. You guys take him up on that offer. All right. Episode number 54. Until next week. Bye. Happy Friday. <laughs>